Hello and welcome to the latest installment of the Video Journal of Oncology podcast. Today's episode is focused on some of the recent exciting advances in genital urinary cancer and today's discussion was recorded at the 2022 ASCO GU Cancer Symposium. Leading GU experts Tian Jung from UT Southwestern in Dallas, Texas and Scott Tagawa from Wild Corning Medicine in New York will be discussing the exciting research presented at the meeting in the fields of prostate and kidney cancer and what the data means in the clinic. In prostate cancer, they'll be discussing two phase three PARP inhibitor trials, Propel and Magnitude, as well as results from the Arison's trial. In renal cell carcinoma, they'll be covering a phase one, two trial evaluating axitinib in combination with nivolumab, the phase two neoAVAC study evaluated neoadjuvant evalumab and axitinib, as well as adjuvant pembrolizumab monotherapy in Keynote 564. There's lots for them to cover, so I'll hand you over to the experts. Welcome to VJ Sessions, uh, session on GU ASCO updates. Um, I'm here, I'm Tian Zhang, uh, Associate Professor at UT Southwestern in Dallas, and I'm here with my good friend, Dr. Togawa. Hi, I'm Scott Togawa, a medical oncologist at Wild Cornell in New York. Uh, and we wanted to highlight some of the abstracts uh, and key trials that have been presented at GU ASCO this weekend. Um, so uh, first, thought, um, I thought it was a great prostate day on Thursday, and um, can you share with us some of your thoughts about some of the key PARP inhibitor trials, uh, the two that were presented, Propel and Magnitude? Sure. Uh, it's been an exciting meeting for prostate cancer in general. A lot of uh, randomized phase three data across the board. Uh, we know that there are, there's a benefit to PARP inhibitors, uh, particularly in pretreated patient populations that are molecularly selected. Uh, there were two phase three studies presented at this meeting with ongoing additional randomized trials uh, that looked at both molecularly selected as well as molecularly unselected patients uh, in combination with uh, AR pathway targeting. These two trials happen to be with abiraterone. Uh, very briefly, the Propel uh, study uh, looked was an all-comer viewpoint, uh, not exposed as general to AR pathway inhibitors, potent AR pathway inhibitors, uh, and was positive in all comers. Uh, looked to be a little bit more of a benefit, not surprisingly, in those with HRD. Uh, but in all comers, there was an improvement in progression-free survival. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the magnitude trial using niraparib enrolled a patient population that looked to be sicker. So can't really compare across clinical trials, but it looked to be sicker. Uh, had two separate parallel trials, uh, one of which was an HRD negative patient population uh, that used a futility analysis that was mostly driven by PSA, even though the primary endpoint was RPFS. In any case, that arm was decided to be futile. Uh, the arm with HRD did move forward and was positive uh, for RPFS in combination with, uh, with abiraterone. Uh, about a quarter of whom had already been exposed to abiraterone and or another AR pathway inhibitor prior to enrollment. What a great summary. And what do you think are some of the key takeaways? Should we be combining our PARP inhibitors with abiraterone for frontline castration-resistant prostate cancer at this point? So I think it's an option. So there's some scientific rationale of the interaction between PARP and AR. Uh, the PROPEL trial came on the heels of a positive randomized phase two uh, with those results more or less replicated in the phase three trial. The hazard ratio was, was very similar. Uh, so as a clinical trialist, I like to believe that. And there was a trend for an overall survival benefit. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to say that magnitude was negative, 
but brought up some questions. Uh, so, you know, as someone that will have a patient sitting in front of me, I hope to have that as an option. I'm not sure at this point if I'm ready to give that uh, combination to all comers. The good thing is that we have additional trials with AR pathway inhibitors um, and dilutamide with or without, both in a um, telezoparib setting in a, in a uh, pharma trial and an NCI cooperative group uh, trial called CASPER and dilutamide uh, with recaparib or placebo uh, that hopefully will shed additional light. Yeah, no, those are great insights, and I think you know maybe for a biomarker-selected population, we're, we'll be thinking more about this combination. Um, wonderful. Um, uh, what other phase three study? We we also saw the results of Arisens, right, and long-anticipated results of darolutamide, ADT, and docetaxel. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, so first of all, what is completely non-controversial <laughs> is that someone walking in the door with metastatic prostate cancer, untreated. Um, call them non-castrate, hormone-sensitive, castration-sensitive, all different terminologies that all, for now, call synonyms, it's very clear that intensified therapy is superior. So very few patients, maybe if they're older and sicker, but very few patients should be getting monotherapy or ADT with an old-fashioned um, non-steroidal antiandrogen. That's for sure. Now we have two trials looking at a triplet. So with the backbone coming off of the initial part of Stampede plus the, the charted studies of ADT docetaxel as a backbone, adding an, a potent AR pathway inhibitor, either initially in PS1 with abiraterone or now uh, darolutamide with aerosins, that that triplet um, is superior in terms of survival to the doublet if the doublet is ADT docetaxel. Uh, so I put these trials together and would say that a standard of care uh, for a population probably especially with high volume disease. We, we haven't seen that, those subsets. I honestly haven't fully delved into the New England Journal paper yet, <laughs> just on the presentation. Uh, but my sense is um, those that are high risk might have that benefit. What we don't have is, is that significantly better than the ADT plus potent AR pathway inhibitor. So what's the contribution of docetaxel? I think it is likely a meaningful contribution in a subset. I'm just not exactly clear who that is right now. Maybe that for the patients that we may add docetaxel to, for, for that because the control cohort for Aerosense, right, was ADT with docetaxel. So everyone received chemotherapy, and so maybe the patients that we're currently thinking might be candidates for docetaxel up front may also benefit from uh, continued AR suppression uh, and uh, AR antagonism and, uh, after their chemotherapy. That's uh, from my takeaway from <laughs> Aerosense. Um, good. Awesome. Do we want to switch to, to kidney cancer trials? Sure. Um, so we're, we're during the, in the middle of the kidney, early actually on the kidney cancer day, uh, the landscape of, of management of advanced kidney cancer has changed multiple times, um, most recently with a number of different combinations. So what are you looking forward to in terms of updates for advanced kidney cancer? Sure. Uh, so in advanced kidney cancer, we actually saw the results um, from an investigator-led trial from uh, Matt Zeibelman and the team at Fox Chase this morning, where they looked at kidney cancers treated with exitinib with nivolumab. And in this patient population, there was actually a very high 60% uh, almost um, objective response rate. Um, and so uh, and, and we're really thinking about how do we use our combinations effectively in this upfront setting, right? So there's multiple VEGF-IO combinations now approved. 
and thinking about these different combinations. Um, they made a great point, I think, of saying, you know, we have multiple agents and uh, VEGF inhibitors, and so if we can use our exitinib early on, we can save some of the mechanisms for with cabozantinib or lenvatinib for later lines of therapy. Um, of note, in their trial, they had a large proportion of favorable risk um, population of patients, and so in that risk uh, uh, population, we're thinking they're more angiogenically driven, less inflamed, and therefore perhaps set up more for responses to VEGF IO um, uh, combination therapies. And so certainly adds more data for uh, how we think about uh, VEGF IO combinations in the front line. So uh, just a little bit of background and a plug uh, that I'll shift over to you. So I, I happen to know the institutions that were enrolling um, that a lot were giving double IO ipinevo um, for the intermediate and high risk. How might we improve that in the future? Oh, sure. So, you know, we are, um, all of us, giving a lot of um, dual checkpoint inhibition, right, for uh, intermediate and poor risk disease. And um, a lot of our trials now are built on ipilimumab and nivolumab. Um, I am somewhat biased. I have one of the, the phase three trials that um, we're running through the Alliance Cooperative Group um, called Pedigree. That's hedged on uh, induction of Benevo followed by nivolumab or nivolumab with cabozantinib, sort of in a sequencing approach. But we've seen a series now of triplet trials in the frontline setting as well. Cosmic 313 just closed to accrual uh, last year. And so this was ipilimumab, nivolumab with cabozantinib in the frontline setting, all, all three. And so can we get a little bit earlier um, uh, response rates um, in the earlier setting with the duration of responses of our um, uh, dual checkpoint inhibitors. Um, and so, you know, that's a study that I'm looking forward to the results of. Um, there is an ongoing study now um, with triplet therapy, um, belzudafen, lenvatinib, and pembrolizumab, or the triplet of um, uh, lenvatinib, pembrolizumab, and quavalumab, uh, which is uh, the other CTLA-4 inhibitor, and to seeing if we can build on what we've learned from lenvatinib, pembrolizumab uh, combinations. So um, all of these trials really are trying to intensify therapy. I think we're all learning from each other and different diseases states to try to um, add to our therapies in the front line, get to as good a response as possible from the, the early setting. Um, and then we also have a really great trial in the cooperative groups um, looking specifically at the um, question of uh, consolidative surgery uh, of nephrectomy. And so if we can get good responses and with immunotherapy combinations, um, when can we operate on these patients and do the consolidative nephrectomy to the primary tumor? So I think that's a, also a very important question um, and one that Dr. Um, Vashem Payan is leading called the PROBE trial. So we're very excited to enroll to that too. Uh, speaking of surgery, if we're, if we're thinking about um, earlier stage disease, uh, we now have some positive data. Um, what are some updates in, in early stage disease? Sure. So uh, one, um, the, we are anticipating uh, the results of a trial called NeoAvX um, later this afternoon uh, of neoadjuvant treatment with avelumab and exitinib, and uh, one that Axel Bex is presenting to us from the United Kingdom. Uh, I think this trial is, uh, is going to be um, important in terms of thinking about locally advanced or um, treat, uh, uh, 
local disease um, that needs a little surgical debulking um, uh, or systemic debulking, if you will, to get to a better surgery. Um, and we'll, there's about five neoadjuvant trials currently in the landscape. They're, they're all phase two, relatively small, different combinations, um, but should really add to our understanding of how can we shrink tumors before they go to surgical resection. Um, and hopefully um, some of our very active therapies can actually do a better job of shrinking tumors and make it an easier surgery for our, our surgeons. Um, now in the post-operative setting, we are also um, uh, saw the results of Keynote 564, adjuvant pembrolizumab versus uh, placebo last year, and we're going to see the uh, added results, the 30-month follow-up um, at this afternoon session as well, uh, where we think uh, we're, we're going to see um, that the 30-month follow-up continue to have ongoing disease-free survival benefit in patients who are treated with uh, pembrolizumab versus placebo. Um, and so uh, my understanding is that we're still looking at delay until disease recurrence and not necessarily enough events on the overall survival curves, um, but I'm really looking forward to the data. So um, in, in summary, um, ASCODU 2022 has been exciting. Uh, one of the most exciting features is the ability to see each other in person, uh, but it's in the context of, of scientific advances that are translating to advantages for our patients. Thank you so much, and uh, we appreciate you and uh, everyone joining us today. Thank you very much to our expert panel and to you for listening to the latest episode of the Video Journal of Oncology podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. To keep up to date with the latest cutting-edge oncology content, visit vjoncology.com and follow at vjoncology on Twitter to join the conversation.